the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420 The Answer or Salem Media Group. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Uh, As always, thank you so much for joining us on a Sunday evening here in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, We've been talking over the years about uh, problems with drug use and the uh, people of all ages here in Northeast Ohio, and as a matter of fact, throughout the entire state. And uh, we're we're revisited tonight with uh, someone, Amy Kuntz, who is with the Partnership for Healthy North Royalton, which, although it's North Royalton, it's really something that can be done in any community here uh, in, in the United States. Amy, thank you for joining us again. Well, thank you for having me again. I appreciate it, Nick. Oh, you're welcome. You know, I mentioned Partnership for a Healthy North Royalton. Um, this, first off, is our local name, and I know there are other programs similar to this. Are they all called Partnerships for Healthy City X, or how do the names um, come into this? So the names come about usually um, by the coalition. So um, being a community-driven um, project, we like to have the input of the coalition. So usually the names come about with a decision of an advisory board or the coalition members themselves, they generate the ideas. So you're going to see um, different um, acronyms and um, different types of names for all of the coalitions nationwide, which it's actually great to see them. Most of them have some sort of partnership or advocacy or you know um, some sort of name to them that really talks about a collaboration with the community and um, all of the different facets that you're going to see um, in the community. Now, now I see from your website that uh, you mentioned the term coalition, and uh, there's listed, looks like, about um, uh, 12 different sectors that are involved in, in this uh, project. Uh, you have youth, parents, business, media, schools, youth servicing organizations, law enforcement, civic and volunteer organizations, religious fraternal organizations, healthcare professionals, state, local, and uh, other government agencies, and uh, other organizations involved in reducing substance abuse. Were, were these categories, are they all represented here in the um, what we call the PHNR? Um, with partnership, we definitely have a good um, cross-section of each of the sectors. Um, those sectors are defined by, um, so we're a federal government-funded um, grant-based program. So the um, government itself does set um, some guidelines, and that's through the Substance Abuse and, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services, so SAMHSA, um, is one of the um, overriding organizations, and our Health and Human Services, which is HHS, um, as well as the federal government. So those are all federal government-run entities that kind of set up guidelines for um, the coalitions that are funded through the Drug-Free Communities Grant, which is what we currently have. 
Um, and um, there are different aspects of that that they have found the most successful coalition since 1997 when they started the Drug-Free Community Grants. Um, they have certain things in common. So those are the best practices and guidelines that they have us, all 719 of us nationwide um, are following the guidelines that they were set for. So those sectors in North Royalton are well represented. Um, we definitely have a good, a strong school representation because of the grant itself is through the North Royalton City School District, which encompasses the cities of North Royalton and Broadview Heights. Um, and we have a lot of businesses engaging, um, youth-serving organizations like the North Royalton YMCA and um, different businesses we have, you know, representing a good cross-section of, of who we are here in the community. I, I see on your advisory board, uh, it's made up of uh, representatives from uh, three of the major hospital groups here in northern Ohio, uh, the local police as well as a hospitalization insurance company. And um, you have a, a representative from the commercial sector as well as, um, I notice, student representatives. What, what input do you get from students? Oh, they, I think, are our most valuable asset. Um, the students that we have, um, they're mainly high school students, but we work with high school and middle school age students. Um, they are our window into what's going on and what, they're seeing in our community as youth. So our main focus is reducing youth substance abuse other than that community collaboration piece. And the students that we have representing um, our student body at the high school are definitely um, hugely important to what we do because as adults, we, you know, we kind of make assumptions on what is going on and those kids can definitely help us and direct us to, no, it's not this way, it's this way, and here's how we think that you should direct your messages. Sort so of those, a reality check of sorts. Sort of a reality yeah, check? Absolutely. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> yeah, now, yeah, definitely. They, they keep it real, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, see if you guys are going off into some la-la land, uh, they'll bring you back down to earth as to what's really happening in the schools. Uh, yeah, because we can, like I said, we can make assumptions, but they're they're going to give us the truth, so that's important. Now, the funding for the uh, coalition is through a federal funding through what federal department? Um, that's the Health and Human Services wing of, of the department. So you know, we get um, through the you know different advocacy that we do. Different groups in the government are working together to create this program and keep it you know, going mm -hmm. for as long as it needs to go. So you've got a bunch of different people working at a federal level and a state level and a local level to, you know, push these things forward. So there's a lot of different moving pieces with it. Now, how often does the grant have to be renewed? Is it an annual thing or a two- or three-year thing? And, and how much is it? And are there any matching funds required locally? So um, it is, we have to renew yearly when you're granted um, the grant itself. Um, it's a five-year time period, but every year we have to hit certain goals and provide certain data um, to maintain our status of being in good standing um, for the um, grant funding. 
So um, it is a five-year time period, and they want you to be self-sustaining or at least, you know, working towards self-sustainability at that point. And then um, you can reapply for years six through ten. Um, the matching has to be one-to-one. So the grant itself is $125,000 a year. And we have to match in-kind donations, so uh, volunteerism, um, people giving to the organization, um, providing services or whatever it is. Um, we have to match that one-to-one every year. And we have to keep track of that and provide that data um, to the reporting systems that we do for the government. Um, well, that, that's interesting. In, yeah, what, let me interrupt for a moment uh, because you described – you describe this not in just a cash matching. Apparently, there are other options on how you can match the federal funds. Absolutely. Yeah. Really? So, how, how does um, that work? When... <laughs> uh, yeah, how do we so, do that? Yeah, that's um, so volunteering actually has a dollar amount to it. So uh-huh. when we have an event where we have people show up and volunteer and help us, and even students at you know that point, um, we can take that time amount and turn it into a cash equivalent. So a lot of our um, in-kind dollars um, are matched by people volunteering at our events or coming to our meetings or attending in in one way, shape, or form. We can then take that back and and put that towards the um, in-kind match that we have to do. Well, that's very good because, you know, we we just heard of a survey in North Royalton looking uh, at uh, service groups and volunteer opportunities generally, and a lot of people said they are interested in helping uh, out their community if it's in a meaningful way. So this mm-hmm. is a meaningful way to uh, actually volunteer and, and create a cash equivalent that will uh, help us get federal dollars. Now, now briefly, uh, we'll take a, about a moment, a minute here, and then we'll we're going to take a break and come back. But uh, briefly, what what all does the group do? I know we have it set up. You have a lot of representation. It's funded. You have volunteers. And it's about uh, doing something about drugs, getting that under control <laughs> or reducing it. So, yeah, how, how do you right. do this? Right. So um, our biggest piece is educating our community. Um, and whether that's a special event or getting into health classes or um, – the things that we can provide and the things that we do provide for the community is a snapshot of what's what's going on. You know, you can read the police blotters and things like that and see that there is, you know, some sort of concern. But what's really going on in the schools, in the community, in the just in the general population of Northeast Ohio or nationally, because it's good to know where we are, you know, on a national scale as well. Um, to bring that information to everybody. I always say um, one day at a time, one person at a time, because if I can tell somebody something they didn't know yesterday and then they tell two or three of their friends, I feel like there's a wave of education going on that even extends beyond the time that we're spending with people. I see. We're talking to Amy Kuntz. Uh, she's the coalition director for the um for the group in North Royalton that is uh, working with drug-free communities and a federal grant to reduce the uh, effect and the practice of using illegal drugs in, in our community as well as communities around the country. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. How's your back? 
Every day, thousands of people suffer with unrelenting back pain that takes time from their normal life. Dr. Patrick McCluskey and his staff at the Timber Ridge Neck and Back Pain Clinic provide the helping hands to relieve those nagging pains. Located in North Royalton at Sprague and York Roads, schedule an appointment today with the Timber Ridge Neck and Back Pain Clinic by calling 440-884-0083 for an appointment. That's 440-884-0083. Just imagine being neck and back pain free. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, This evening we're talking to Amy Coons, who's the coalition director for the Partnership uh, for a Healthy North Royalton, which is a federally funded program that uh, is available to all the different communities here in Ohio in order to create a task force like Coalition to go out and attack the the drug problems that's uh, hurting our children and, and our adults. Amy, thank you again for joining us. Glad to be here. Uh, with regard to uh, the partnership for a healthy North Royalton, uh, and we're talking about uh, the, the monies and the volunteers, and we were just starting during the last segment to talk about what all do you do, uh, and you said education and, and so forth. Uh, you've been doing this for about how long now? Uh, for me, it's been about three years. And how long has the a coalition been uh, alive here in, in North Royalton? Um, we are coming up on the end of our fifth year here in North Royalton. During uh, those five years, are there some statistics where you can chart what has been happening with regard to uh, drug abuse here in, uh, in North Royalton and uh, whether or not your program has made any impact upon improving the situation? Well, that's actually a perfect question because uh, there is some positive news um, within North Royalton, and and that's been kind of a a story that we love to tell. Um, The uh, surveys that are done within the school district, which are anonymous within the student body, usually take place within the 7th grade level and the 11th grade level. So we're getting cohorts of data that overlap each other at this point. Um, and we're seeing some good trending when it comes to our students and the decisions that they're making and how they're perceiving um, risk of substances. So just to dive into that a little bit, um, the surveys themselves talk about what is the perceived risk of alcohol or tobacco or prescription drugs or illicit drugs. And um, our perceived risk Um, has gone up, which is actually a good thing, Um, but it's seeing that the trend that the kids, the education that the kids are getting and the education that we hope that their parents are getting and then, you know, regurgitating at home um, are, is making a positive impact on the decisions that they're making with their friends um, in a social setting or by themselves as well. So we're happy to say we've seen some positive impact from programs that Partnership for Healthy North Royalton has put on, um, 
supplemental things that we're doing in the health classes that they get um, at the middle school and the high school. So that's kind of a, a little feather in our cap. I'd love to, you know, tout our um, awesome people that we work with in the community to bring the coalition members and give them some recognition. So that's been a, a great thing to find out over the last couple of years. Do, do we have any numbers uh, such as um, how many overdoses reported in uh, North Royalton say five years ago compared to how many overdoses are being reported? Well, trending wise, we're kind of like on par with the national trends. So we have had seen an increase. Um, I could start probably about 2014 with some numbers. We had 15 overdoses in 2014 specific to um, opiates. So that's, you know, prescription opiates and or um, heroin. Um, in 2015, we almost doubled, um, and then we almost doubled again in 2016. Um, I think 2017, uh, the data itself is pretty stable. So 2016 to 2017, we're, we're still around the 60, mid-60s right now um, in North Royalton, um, as far as I know from the reporting that I have from our police and um, emergency medical teams. Well, the, well, the job's not done, uh, apparently, uh, to keep going. Uh, of the different no, no. <laughs> uh, of the different uh, initiatives that you're you're doing, what seems to be the most effective and, and maybe has the best impact? The most positive feedback we get is when we're events either that we do that we're interacting one on one with parents or students seem to have a great impact um, that might not necessarily be your run-of-the-mill don't do drugs sort of thing but an activity associated with um, a lesson um, very recently at the end of our school year right after the school year ended we had our picnic for prevention um, and had over a hundred attendees come and do various activities that were educational for themselves and or positive because I like to put a positive spin like one activity itself was planting the seeds of prevention where we had everybody write down a prevention goal um, or a healthy goal because we you know health and wellness involves good decisions and, and that's a, a whole genre that we like to focus on as well put that in the bottom of the you know plant itself and then put a plan on top of it that they can then grow and nurture with the foundation of their positive goal on the bottom. So it was a, a really good, I got a lot of great feedback about how that was a very impactful, you know, okay, let's think of something that we want to focus on and then make that a foundation for a healthy lifestyle. So things like that, we get really good feedback and we hope that creates like a lasting impression on the families because it was a family activity. So the parents could do it with the kids and, you know, help their kids with their goals and talk to them, you know, hopefully starting a conversation about what they believe healthy decisions are going forward. So that stuff is, is really positive and love to celebrate with our community there as well, which is kind of what that was another five years of, you know, prevention and advocacy for um, PH&R. So we were happy with that. You know, you mentioned uh, the statistics that were somewhat tracking along with national averages and the number of drug overdoses. And uh, for 16 and 17, you mentioned around the 60, 65 uh, level. Uh, for 2018, mm -hmm. we're, we're past the half-year point. Uh, do we have numbers? Are we tracking about the same, or is it getting worse or stable or any improvement? Um, we've seen a, a marginal improvement, um, and I'm talking 
specific for the county, I have uh, half your county data. I just um, heard a presentation, um, PHNR, myself and, and my um, co-worker, Sherry Stafford, were part of the Cuyahoga County Opiate Task Force, um, and that's through the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, and then Dr. Gilson, our Cuyahoga County Medical Examiner, does do presentations. Um, so we've seen um, a trend. It went up a little bit from last year with the um, heroin, but we're seeing a trend downward um, at the first half of the year now. So that's kind of a, a positive if we're not trending upward. So that's it's marginal, but we're optimistic that people are starting to get the message and understand the um, life-altering consequences that come with illicit drug use. Is there anything the uh, legal government community can do to change laws or create new laws that uh, might have impact other than just coming up with new laws for the sake of new laws? Yeah, you know, um, we're seeing a lot, especially from the legal side, we're seeing a lot of um, trending more towards treatment rather than prosecution. Um, and and that's kind of the change that is going on. There are laws at the state level that have been impactful for people, Good Samaritan laws um, and um, things like that have made an impact on saving lives and generally trying to help instead of incarcerate. So um, changing the stigma from, you know, ground zero to, you know, wherever, you know, someone with an addiction issue ends up is uh, what our law departments are doing and what our legal, mm -hmm. you know, our government entities are doing as well. You, you can't overdose on heroin if you can't get any. Uh, how engaged is your coalition with regard to understanding where the supply comes from and, and where the kids and, and adults are, are getting this in a place like North Royalton where you wouldn't think this would be a problem? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, unfortunately, you know, it, it's kind of everywhere, so we don't want to turn a blind eye to anywhere where it could be a problem. The stigma, like I said, is kind of... You know, uh, people who use heroin or abuse drugs are, you know, those that are under the bridges and, you know, look like drug users and whatever that conjures up in your brain. But the, the truth is it's, you know, business people and, you know, well-to-do families and things like that. So changing that stigma is a big part of it. Um, the way that we can kind of identify where the you know things are happening is by keeping our eyes open basically mm -hmm. i mean we don't get too much into you know identifying dealers or anything like that but because that's not our area of expertise but you know we leave that to the professionals obviously um but it's understanding like if our kids are asking for help because there's something going on at home yeah. or things like that getting them the resources that they really need starting with law enforcement or some sort of advocate for them. Well, we're going to have to leave it at that. Uh, we're talking to Amy Kuntz, and she is the uh, director for the, the partnership for a healthy North Royalton, and I guess these programs are around the country. Uh, Amy, thank you so much. We'll have to get back with you again in a few months and find out how we're doing and whether we're making further headway against uh, drug overdose. That would be awesome. I look forward to speaking with you guys again. Thanks, Nick. Thank you so very much. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate.
children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips and Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips and Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I, at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Welcome back to Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next two segments, we're going to be talking about uh, the American Prabhat II in particular. We're going to be talking about President Ronald Reagan, and we're going to be comparing him with President Donald Trump. And uh, with us to talk about that is no one better than John Highbush. John, how are you? Uh, great. Great to be with you, Nick. Well, well thank you for joining us tonight. Um, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, what what have you been doing to study Ronald Reagan and uh, have your opinions about President Bush? Tell us a little bit about your background. I, I read up on it, and it's quite an illustrious background. Well, I, I spent uh, the first part of my professional career um, in Washington, uh, D.C. I was born and raised there, and um, the entire Reagan presidency uh, from 1981 through 1989, I worked on Capitol Hill and had various roles there, um, most uh, particularly as chief of staff to a member of Congress, and I was also on the House Budget Committee staff during the Reagan years and spent a great deal of time um, protecting and promoting President Reagan's uh, defense buildup during the era. And I um, also was uh, chief of staff to Elizabeth Dole when she was Secretary of Labor under President Bush. I worked with her also at the Red Cross and also ran one of the big national party committees in Washington, the National Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee, and helped elect Republicans to the United States Senate in 1996. And then I got some business experience, was one of the early people at Gateway Computers. And um, uh, from there, I, I did pretty well. And uh, uh, Mrs. Reagan asked, um, uh, about uh, just about eight years ago, called me and asked if I'd have an interest in running uh, her husband's foundation, and uh, that's what I do today. I run uh, the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Library uh, in Simi Valley, California. Well, you, you certainly have established your credentials as, as far as knowing how Washington works uh, and uh, knowing the interplay and the, and, and the types of personalities that, that are around that have to be dealt with. Um, with regard to President Trump, uh, Tell us about President Trump, and there have been people trying to make comparisons between Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan. What, what were those comparisons that that are out there, at least people are trying to establish? Yeah, you know, um, as individuals um, between President Reagan and President Trump, you probably couldn't find two men more different um, in, from the standpoint of their styles, their personality, their character. Uh, um, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan... Um, while he was an actor, he, 
he um, he came from the political world in the sense that he served two terms as governor of one of the nation's largest states of California and had a lot of experience working um, in a bipartisan fashion um, with a state legislature. And uh, so by the time he came to Washington, while he was considered a real outsider and a conservative, he had a, a good deal of political experience in working on some really tough issues. And uh, President Trump, uh, as many Americans know, um, uh, while he was involved in politics, you know, most especially as a as a as a donor or a fundraiser for various candidates, uh, he uh, didn't have um, uh, political experience. Had not been, uh, you know, a legislator or a governor. Um, so he came to Washington um, with a, uh, I don't know, I'd say a similar frame of mind, a kind of a drain the swamp kind of a attitude, uh, similar to President Reagan. Um, but as it relates to at least the President Trump's first year in office, uh, um, he's uh, taken a very, very different tact uh, stylistically than President Reagan did. Um, where they, where you find them to be especially close would be, I would say, in their political philosophies. Uh, President Trump, while there's a lot of noise about how he governs, um, his policies uh, day by day seem to take one page after another from the Reagan playbook. Um, and uh, they're uh, very conservative uh, policies, um, and uh, they match up a great deal in, in many respects. So very different men and styles, but uh, but similar outcomes as it relates to their political philosophy. Can you give us a couple? Can you give us a couple of examples of the kinds of uh, items and types of uh, philosophical topics that they, they agree on that are, like you say, taken from the Reagan playbook? Yeah, well, I'll, we'll talk with one about one that uh, has come up just in the last couple of days, a strong national defense. I mean, President Trump is uh, strongly promoting the spending bill that will spend over $700 billion in the next year on the Department of Defense, and um, he's trying to restore um, health and, and uh, stability to our nation's defenses, and that, that's a that's a very Reagan-esque thing to do. Ronald Reagan spent eight years uh, building up our um, what were uh, some very depleted defense resources. So um, that's a, a perfect parallel. But there, you can also find uh, strong similarities in their interest in tax cuts and tax reform, and um, in the appointment of uh, conservative judges to the bench, to the federal bench, and to the Supreme Court. Uh, Reagan was very, very uh, deregulatory in nature, as is President Trump. President Trump has eliminated dozens and dozens of regulations that impede business, especially small business and mm -hmm. corporate uh, affairs. So uh, in that respect, there's a lot of similarities in the way of the policy. Well, well let's, let's talk about the most obvious thing, and then the difference is style, and I think you mentioned a few moments ago. Uh, where Ronald Reagan was uh, often called the great communicator, and uh, listening to him and watching him smile while he talked and had a gentle voice uh, was almost a pleasure to listen to, uh, no matter what he was saying. He, because I think of his background uh, and training and films and acting and so on, just gave him a natural presence that uh, was more on the positive side and the pleasant side. Donald Trump, on the other hand, is more confrontational and uh, the style is totally opposite. Uh, how do those two styles play into how you think things are going? Well, um, I think, Nick, I think you've, you've, um, you've drawn the, the right distinctions in terms of their two styles and their personalities. Uh, President Reagan, um, 
he never had a majority in the House of Representatives during his entire presidency, uh, which was similar to uh, the state of play when he was governor of California. As a result, uh, in order to get things done, in order to get his agenda through, uh, he had no choice but to uh, work across the aisle and uh, to work with the media and to um, you know, nurture them in such a way that uh, he could get enough votes to get um, his extraordinary um, program passed. And, and, uh, and as a result, you saw him use exactly the, the style of personality you put your finger on. He, he, he had a gentle touch. He was a gentleman. Uh, he worked to make friends. Uh, he didn't want to make enemies. Um, and he knew in his day and age that in order to get his program through, he, had to, he didn't necessarily have to get the media on his side, but he certainly needed uh, them to uh, be the channel to get his message out. So he, we, while uh, many in the liberal media didn't like Ronald Reagan, um, uh, they, they at least, um, you know, um, worked, <laughs> allowed him to communicate as the great communicator he was. Well, I think the uh, media at the time found it hard uh, to be harsh against someone like Ronald Reagan. Uh, not yeah, so that's right. He was a gentleman, uh, you know, a, 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 a fellow that... I don't, regardless of what side of the aisle you were on, he just had such a good nature and a great sense of humor and uh, was an incredible storyteller, a master communicator. He's someone you wanted to like. And whether you disagreed with him or not, you, I, you know, I felt America wanted him to succeed. Uh, and, um, and he did succeed as a result. Uh, you know, the contrast in President Trump's case, I think he's got the backing of many Americans who agree with him on a lot of issues. It's just his style is such that um, uh, he, he doesn't um, hesitate for a moment to uh, uh, make enemies or call out enemies and, and attempt to get what he's after through a, uh, you know, a great struggle. And, and uh, so uh, no doubt that, that in terms of communicating and how they communicate what they're trying to get across, they're very, very different uh, ways of going about it. Well, it, it's certainly something that is uh, drawing a lot of... Uh news every day from President Trump on uh, all the, the late night show hosts uh, always having something to say. The, uh, the constant uh, Twitter uh, notes and messages that are coming out. Uh, just uh, a fodder for the media and, and to me it's very distracting from those things you mentioned earlier and that is playbook type issues such as national defense and tax cuts in the economy generally that have to be attended to, and, and we're watching things happen from the economy with low unemployment and generally an up, upticked uh, stock market and so forth, that these things are all happening. So I, I think we're, we're going to take a short break now. We're talking to John Highbush uh, from the Reagan Foundation, and uh, we're talking about comparing Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump, and we're going to come back and we're going to be talking about some of the other issues uh, surrounding maybe the mental status of both presidents and what's uh, true and what's myth or what's our suspicion. So we'll be right back again with uh, John Highbush. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. Advanced funeral planning is a good idea. Nick Phillips here for Bush Funeral and Crematory Services. When we were faced with the task of recording final wishes, we turned to the caring professionals at Bush. Thanks, Nick. Mark Bush here. We make it easy for you to get started. Download our Senior's Guide to Funeral Arrangements at bushcares.com or call 800-252-8724 and ask to speak with a funeral planning specialist. Visit bushcares.com. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. Uh, tonight we're talking about uh, Ronald Reagan and a comparison between Ronald Reagan as president and uh, also Donald Trump. Uh, we've been talking to John Highbush from the Reagan Foundation, talking about uh, the comparisons of the two with regard to policies and, most importantly, style. Uh, John, thank you again for joining us. Happy to be with you, Nick. You know, uh, as we were talking about style being perhaps the most obvious uh, uh, issue between the two presidents, going back to the years of uh, Ronald Reagan and then subsequent to his presidency, uh, the ultimate, we all know the ultimate diagnosis of Alzheimer's and uh, ultimately the terminal phase of President Reagan's life. But uh, there, there was criticism during his presidency that he wasn't altogether engaged with being president. And I think uh, there's some talk that maybe President Reagan's Alzheimer's was in existence while he was president. Uh, and, and you have some information. You, you're there at the Reagan Foundation. Uh, what, what's the truth to that situation and that issue? Um, it's an important issue, Nick. Um, the truth is that the entire eight years of the Reagan presidency, um, Ronald Reagan had all his faculties about him. He was... Uh, absolutely lucid and uh, uh, brilliant, uh, frankly, intellectual, very well-read and well-spoken. And, um, you know, he might have been in his 70s while in office, but uh, he had all his faculties about him completely. A myth um, essentially erupted post his presidency as a result of a couple of books, uh, one in particular uh, written by uh, Bill O'Reilly that um, established a theory that uh, when President Reagan was shot early in 1981, that this somehow um, set him on a terrible physical and mental course, and in which case he never really fully recovered. And in fact, he implies that the president uh, uh, was not well enough to even hold the office. Well, um, you know, history um, completely uh, defies all that. Uh, you know, you can go to Reagan's absolute last speech in the Oval Office and see that he was 
perfectly in control of, of, of everything. Um, I, it's just uh, on occasion, um, the, the, you know, the Reagan Foundation has to go forward and erase some of these myths uh, that, that have come forward from folks like O'Reilly. Um, and in the most recent respect, this happened uh, as a result of people questioning President Trump's own sanity. And I, I think that's been erased now as well. You know, it's one thing if you disagree with someone like President Trump, um, but some disagree with him so violently that they want to apply that the, the man's essentially insane. And, um, you know, they, they, there was a little bit of that during the Reagan presidency, but I think everyone is, you know, got their faculties about them and figured out that uh, both presidents are perfectly mentally health, uh, you know, have better mental health in office and, you know, political disagreements notwithstanding, some of these myths have to be uh, erased, otherwise history is just uh, broken, essentially. Well, when President Reagan was shot, uh, do I recall correctly he was shot in the abdominal area? Yeah, he was, uh, the bullet actually ricocheted off of the limousine and it struck the president in the abdomen and lodged about a half an inch from his heart. And uh, the near-death experience with President Reagan was as a result of him losing, losing over half of his blood. Uh, he collapsed when he walked into the emergency room, and we almost lost President Reagan, but fortunately the doctors at George Washington Hospital were able to bring him back and save him. Well, as you're mentioning that uh, there's basically theories being advanced that that shot to the abdomen somehow started uh, some mental decline. Is there any medical support for that? No, no medical support for that whatsoever. In fact, President Reagan went through a rigorous annual physical and mental uh, tests uh, for every year he was in office, as well as for the five years after he left, left office when he went to uh, the Mayo Clinic uh, annually to get his checkups there. It wasn't until 1994 uh, that President Reagan was uh, determined to have the earliest stages of Alzheimer's, and he indeed lived another 10 years um, after that fact uh, with Alzheimer's, but it was five years after he left office before the president really started, uh, you know, experiencing the early stages of the disease. Well, and we know it's a, it's a tragic disease that uh, exists by the thousands in this country, and it has a predictable course. And a, and a usual time span for that. Uh, the, the fact that it's an issue today with President Trump that Ronald Reagan is being called into question, uh, why, why is that? Why do you think President Reagan is being dredged up at this point for, well, for uh, that purpose? In the process of President Trump uh, having to prove he had all his mental faculties about him a couple of months ago, um, he um, uh, brought forth to the White House, to the press room, his doctor, Dr. Ronnie Jackson. And the doctor, in an hour-long um, question-and-answer session with the national media, was thrown a hypothetical from a reporter from CBS News. And this reporter essentially um, uh, asked Dr. Jackson, well, we want to make sure that you don't make the same mistake with President Trump as was made with President Reagan. Uh, wasn't President Reagan uh, not, uh, you know, um, with himself, and didn't he have not have all his faculties together as president? And rather than simply strike that question down, the, unfortunately, Dr. Jackson took the hypothetical oh, and boy. <laughs> made the statement that, well, uh, if President Reagan were debilitated in an office, then 
uh, dot, dot, dot. And, and unfortunately, that caused renewed speculation, uh, renewed myth over President Reagan's health. And it was unfortunate the doctor answered the question in that way, but he did. And so we, we had to spend a few weeks once again putting that myth to rest. Uh-huh. Well, uh, it, it sounds like you know those are issues that are going to be with us for a while as long as uh, Donald Trump uh, keeps making headlines with his style of being president. And we'll see if those uh, comparisons are still made. Well, tell us a bit about the, uh, uh, the Reagan Foundation in, in the last couple of minutes we have. I'm, I'm curious as to what all you're doing, and I, I think I read that the number of visitors per year is uh, just astronomical. What, what's going on? Yeah, the, well, the Reagan Foundation, it sits atop a mountain um, uh, at the Reagan Library, and uh, the Reagan Library is the most visited and largest by far of all the presidential libraries in the United States, so we get about a half a million people a year, and uh, the Reagan Foundation, it's the only uh, nonprofit organization established by President Reagan after he left, left office, and its mission is to carry forward his work, his unfinished business, so... Uh, we do many, many things at the Reagan Foundation in addition to uh, our support of the Reagan Library. And we provide, oh, for example, millions of dollars in college scholarships every year to, uh, uh, to you know, young, uh, promising youth that, uh, 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 that are, um, you know, leaders in their communities. And we uh, have a, a, an enormous uh, public speaking program here that includes uh, uh, presidential debates and major authors and um, we have uh, special exhibits uh, all the time. We just had a recent uh, major exhibit on the Titanic and the discovery of the Titanic. So um, it's a a very active place where we have uh, people from all over the world pulsing in and out of here every day visiting and learning uh, not only about uh, who President Reagan was but what he stood for and and if we do our job right we'll uh, carry the president's philosophy and his vision into the future. Are you planning any time to get back to Washington and back into the, the Washington way of bureaucracy and life and government? Uh, interesting question, Nick. Uh, I personally am not, but uh, uh, we um, um, have, in fact, uh, opened uh, Reagan Foundation offices in Washington, D.C., and uh, um, this is not to say we're going to create a Reagan Library East, but we are going to be uh, conducting program and, and programs and uh, having events and uh, uh, in Washington in order to, you know, uh, in a, you know, I'll state this very loosely, to bring Ronald Reagan back to Washington, D.C., in a sense, and that we want to make sure that decision makers there arguing over these contemporary issues keep President Reagan's basic philosophy in mind, and his philosophy is all about smaller governments and more freedom for the individual. Well, I, I could picture something like that with a lot of video uh, kiosks set up around with uh, a lot of audiovisual opportunities to hear the voice of Ronald Reagan and the uh, great communicator. That's right. In fact, we plan to have a mini museum that will open there in, uh, in the next couple of years um, with uh, authentic Reagan artifacts. But just as you say, you know, we're going to take advantage of all the technology that we can to Uh, make sure people are reminded of President Reagan's vision and what he stood for. Well, thank you very much. John uh, Highbush, thank you so much from the Reagan Foundation. Uh, Thank you for joining us tonight, and uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back next Sunday, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night. As I sat and watched 
the sands of our sunset, sat and drank my fresh mint tea, with nothing to do until morning, and only my mind had company. The preceding program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420 The Answer or Salem Media Group. It's summertime, which means shorts and bathing suits. And for a lot of you, that is something you dread, but you don't have to. Nutramost in Solon guarantees 20-pound weight loss on their program. And Dr. Boot is here to tell us more. What makes the program unique? There's a few different factors, but one of them that I really want to talk about today is I think so many weight loss programs do a good job of helping you lose weight, but they don't track how you do afterwards. And that's why in our program, we require that you come once a month month, no charge, no shame, sit down with our coaches one-on-one. The longer we can keep you trending towards your ideal weight or at your ideal weight, your brain locks. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off a alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.